0: This series is called "Fixing Us," and basically, what we're doing is looking at the issues that kind of crop up in our hearts and lives that affect our marriages and kind of get us in a way where we're in a little bit of trouble. And so, last week we we talked about what some of those issues were and how it's it's part of our selfishness and our sin. Excuse me, our sin nature kind of crops up, and and, uh, how to deal with that. We, We decided the best way to deal with that is to give them the kind of unconditional love that God gives us. And in order to give that kind of unconditional love. You have to experience that kind of unconditional love. In other words, for, for you to do a work, or love has to do a work in you before it can do a work through you towards your spouse. And so, uh, so we talked about that last week. If you missed that, you can catch on our podcast and listen to that. It'll be a blessing to you this week. I wanna continue on talking about it because sometimes in our marriages, when we get into trouble, we feel like, all right, I'm gonna get married to this person and this person is gonna fix me. And when that doesn't happen and there's still this issue in your relationship, you feel like, all right, the next thing that's going to fix me is maybe adding kids to the mix. And so your marriage that's in trouble, you add kids to the mix, and then you find out that the kids are not the fix to the marriage because what kids have a tendency to do is to drive a wedge in between the relationship. They don't do it intentionally. But here's what kids do. When you add kids to the mix, especially very, very young kids, Young kids are pooping, they're peeing all over the place, they're crying, they're, they're making noise, they're throwing up. It's kind of like living in a frat house when you have younger kids. You know, there's, kid, there's kids wandering the halls at all hours of the night, they are stumbling, babbling incoherently. You know what I'm saying, frat house. <laughs> it can be a very challenging environment. Uh, to have a healthy marriage. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna look at the very first family that we find in Genesis because we're gonna use it as a pattern to set up the rest of our talk today. And uh, it's going to be found in, in Genesis 1. And, and I think it's really important that as we look at this, because whatever, whatever is we find in the Bible, that, it, that becomes our pattern for life. And when we find that we're kind of misaligned, we begin to do that work to align with what God's Word says. Amen? And so we're going to look at this today because I think there's a shift that needs to happen in our perspective of what a family is and what God intended for it to be. And so uh, I'm going to share that. The first part of the message today, the last half of it, I'll, I'll talk to you about some very practical things that you can do uh, in, to have a healthy marriage when you're raising kids now if you're here today and you're single and you're wanting to be married or you're single and you're happy to be single that's fine i just want you to take notes today because it'll help you be prepared for when you do get into a marriage and when you do uh, begin to raise kids and and to add that into the mix if you're here today and you're an empty nester your kids have grown and they've left the house or maybe your kids have grown and you wish they've left the house wherever you're at with that uh, just know that the back end of this message the relational tips will be very valuable for you as well And So I believe that will be a blessing to you. So let's just jump into Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis means the beginning or how it all started. And so we're going to be in chapter 2 of Genesis. The verses will be up on the screen. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So this is the first man ever created. And all of you singles need to pay attention to this. Before Adam had a wife, Adam had a job. Let that stew. Before he had a wife, he had a job. So guys, if you're looking for a wife, go get a job. Ladies, (laughs) ladies, if you're looking for a guy and you find one, but he can't bring himself to work, I don't mean that he's physically disabled. I mean that he won't work, you need to keep on looking. Now, that was free. That was just to help you because I love you as your pastor. I'm just saying, okay? So let's continue on. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good... The man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Now, when you're reading your Bible, you can't just read your Bible. You need to understand what that just said, because I've missed it for years. Missed it. I've read this story and just thought, okay, Adam's naming the sheep, he's naming all the animals, and and then God said, Hey, it's not good for him to be alone. Let's go ahead and give him a woman. Okay? And so that's how you always read the story. But you need to understand, Adam was naming the sheep, and God said, Hey, it's not good for him to be alone. So they start looking for a helper among the animals. For Adam. And he says, a suitable helper was not found. That's what that just said. Okay, so I could kind of imagine this, how this e-harmony is going, right? It was probably going pretty bad. Oh. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Pay attention, because Adam's following God's call. He's doing what he was told to do. He said, hey, I want you to take care of the animals. I want you to name them. Adam's busy doing that. And while he is following and fulfilling God's purpose for his life, he brings him his woman. I think this is a principle that we all need to pay attention to. If you're single and you're here today and you're like, I really do want to be married and I've been trying, I've been dating, I've been banging my head against the wall. Look, let me tell you what the best thing you can do is. Figure out what God's purpose is for your life and begin to pursue it. Pursue it. It's my story. I was, dating, I was in the dating scene. And I could not find a woman that would love a man with two kids. I, I, I was not in a place where I wanted to exert that kind of energy. I was barely getting any sleep at night. And I was like, God, I I, I need a helper. But here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna go serve. I'm gonna do what you've given me to do and I'll wait for you to provide. And God gave me my wife at that time. It wasn't until I engaged with what he gave me to do that he brought me Shanda. Same thing for Shanda. Shanda had been in the dating scene for many, many years and decided this is who I want. This is the kind of man I want. She wrote out a list, folded it up, dropped it into a little prayer box at her church and said, I'm a hold. I'm a hold right here. I'm gonna do what you gave me to do. I'm gonna go to school. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to take care of my kid. I'm going to do that. She was completing her, nurse, her nursing degree. And so the next thing was to get her job there with, the nurse, with, with that degree. She said, I'm going to focus on that. And you bring me this guy. And she held. When we connect with the purpose of God, if you're looking for a spouse, he will bring one to you. But if you're busy looking for one and ignoring his purpose, I believe that it leads to disaster in your life. Verse continues on, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, when we're looking at the scriptures, Genesis 1 and 2 are basically the same account. The first one kind of gives an outline of what happened on each of the days, but Genesis 2 gives us a more detailed look at what happened on some of those days, specifically the sixth day, and that's kind of what we just read there. But there's something in, in, in chapter one that I want to point out to you. It says, in verse 27 of chapter one, it says, so God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Look, everything God created up until this point, from the first day to the sixth day, he said, this is good at the end of each one of those days. And ladies, you can be excited and and be proud to know that you were God's like crowning creation, crowning piece of his creation. Because as soon as he made you, he said, that's it. I'm done. There's nothing else better that I can make. It's the woman. said, so I'm all done. Put the cherry on the top. And then he took a break. He rested. And I think, I think if we're not careful, this little passage will kind of miss some of the things that God wants us to see as we look at it. And so I, I want us to, to point out, to kind of extrapolate some of the points that I believe we miss when we read over passages like this. The first thing is, is that the foundational relationship for life was a marriage, the very first relationship God ever created on this earth was a marriage. Adam was by himself, and he didn't bring Eve along because Adam was in a state of depression and that she needed to, be, she needed to fix him. That's not why Eve came along. He came, she came along to help him. God said, I was looking for a helper for him. Somebody to help him, somebody to help him reach his potential, somebody to help him do more than he could ever do on his own, not to fix him, and so Adam is busy about connecting with God's purpose for him, and he brings along Eve and gives her to him as a wife. That was the foundational relationship. And marriage should look like that, I think. Marriage should be two people helping each other achieve more because you can, when you link arms with your spouse, you can do more together than you ever could alone. It gives you the confidence to do more. Your spouse should complement you. Now what you notice in this passage is that God did not give Adam a child. Could you imagine... The very first relationship being a man and a boy, like a little boy, like the, 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 a, ch- a son. A man and child is the first relationship. What a disaster that would be, right? No woman to help him out or know how to guide or to raise that kid or to nurture him. That would just be an absolute disaster. That is not what he gave him. He gave him, didn't give him a friend. He gave him a woman and a marriage relationship. And so God made marriage, and he called it complete He didn't say there's something else missing from this family unit. He said, this is done. He said, it's good. Now, why is that important? Well, because if the marriage was completed with husband and wife, then we need to change the way that we think, because I think, I think we feel like that we don't have a family until a child is brought into this world. I think we feel like less of a couple, we like, well, I'm going to start a family, and when we say start a family, that means I'm going to bring a child into this world, or I'm going to adopt, I'm going to have a kid. But that's not what it means at all. God said the family unit was complete when man and wife were joined joined together. So the second thing that we can learn from this passage is children do not complete the family. They expand it. Because God would have given them a child before he said it's done. He would have given them that before he completed it. But instead, what he did was he gave gave them to each other. And that was complete. The reason that's important is because If that's the case, if the family is complete with the husband and wife, I'm not telling you not to have kids. Stay with me now, okay? This next part is is so important, it's so key, and it's what we're gonna hang the rest of what we're doing on today, is that marriage is not a preliminary relationship before a family. It is the priority relationship in a family. The marriage is not the preliminary one. You don't have to have this, and then you have kids, and then you have a family. No, it's the priority relationship in the family. A lot of us, we get married, we go on this dating spree, and we have a great time. It's all romantic. It's all blissful. Cupid has shot us with arrows, and we're enjoying it. And we get married, and then we go, all right, let's start a family, and let's have, let's have kids. And when we do have kids, what happens is the focus shifts from what brought you two together in the first place was each other to these kids, and then our families become kid-centric. Now, there's nothing wrong with caring for your children and getting them to all the activities that they need to go to, to their school and sporting events and all these things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But when our lives become kid-centric, when the focus comes off of what brought us together in the first place and becomes all about the kids, years from now, when that zero to college age or whatever that, that time span is gonna be, you've got a married couple who will sit across the table and look at each other and not know who that, know who that person is and I've seen it happen too many times, because the kids became the primary relationship, the focus shifted to them, and instead of on that, 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 that priority relationship, husband and wife, that relationship ends in a divorce. And let me tell you something, that's not God's best for you. That's not what he intends for you, or wants for you at all, in any way, shape, or form. God desires for you to have a healthy marriage, and a solid foundation for your kids. I believe that if you have a healthy marriage, the biggest impact that you'll ever make on your kids isn't as mom and dad. It's as husband and wife. How we treat one another impacts our kids. And that's why we need to have healthy marriages. Because healthy parenting flows from healthy marriages. It's the final thing we can grab from that little, that little passage in Genesis. If you want to work on your parenting... My encouragement to you is work on your marriage. Let that sink in. Work on your marriage because when you have a better marriage, you create a better environment for your kids. When your marriage is stronger, you will stand the test of time because isn't that the goal? I said, till death do us part. With my my spouse, with my bride, she's sitting over there, and I mean it. She's pretty convinced I'm going to die before she does, but that's neither here nor there. If I keep messing up, I might die quicker than I think. <laughs> but our kids, our kids are, our, well, I'm going to say this. Nobody be offended. But in general, kids are evil. <laughs> now, if you're a kid and you're here, don't misunderstand me. We're all born sinners. We're all born selfish, Okay. Every kid just got mad at me. I was like, what? Excuse me? What are you talking about, Willis? Look, look. all I'm saying is, is that we're all born with a sinful nature. And our kids want what they want. They want it now. And they'll do anything they can to get what they want to the point of being divisive in your relationship. And if you don't have a strong marriage, what will happen is they'll drive that wedge in between you all they can, all day long. They'll use you. How many parents are in this room that one kid has used you against the other parent? Let me see your hand. Oh, yeah. All right, so what I'm saying is true. Say, but mom said, or but dad said, or she said no, so I'm going to go ask dad, and I'm not going to tell her that I talked to mom. You know what I'm saying? Or I've even got kids. They'll talk to me about the way Shanda talked to them and say, well, your wife said this, trying to get me on their side. And I'll hold, hold up. Hold up. Did, did you just say my wife? Did, that's mom to you, thank you very much. You don't need to be doing, take, the reason you're talking to me that way is because you want me on your side. They're trying to drive that wedge because they want to win. They want to get what they want, right? They'll do it any way possible. They will try to attempt to alienate your relationship. And so oftentimes in marriage, we wind up at war over our kids' behavior. We, we wind up at war with each other over what's going on. And what we need to do is one little word, and that is be united. We need to be united in our stand against our kids because if we link arms and say all right this is the way we're going to be we're going to be united in the way we discipline united in the way that we raise them united in what we believe and united in what we teach them then we can win against these kids <laughs> must be united there are times when when I'm going to shift how I'm parenting I'll talk to Shanda before I talk to the kids it is a mistake to try to talk to the kids first and move forward because what happens is the kids are confused they go wait a minute Dad just said we were gonna do it this way and now you're doing it this way and she's like, he didn't say anything to me, right? So we can't can't be on that page. We gotta be united in what we do so that we can can win in that battle. Here's what happens when we're united. When our marriages are healthy, our kids feel more secure and confident. They feel more secure and confident in themselves because of the relationship that mom and dad have. And what happens when mom and dad have a healthy relationship, it changes their worldview. It helps them see God better. It helps them adjust to things better. So I would say this, that as the marriage goes, so go the kids. So go the kids. So we need to prioritize our marriages for our kids' benefit. Now here's a couple practical ways that I think you need to, that you can use to prioritize your marriage. And I'm not perfect at all these things. I'm just sharing them with you because I'm working on them as well. Amen? Can we all be honest about that? All right. The first thing you need to do is something called establishing couch time. Establishing couch time. What this is is intentional time that you set aside to connect with each other. At the end of the day, when you get off work, whether you're coming home to her or she's coming home to you, You can greet your kids, greet your puppy, but you need to greet her or him and create an environment that is prioritized just for them. In other words, you don't walk in, greet your kids, greet the dog, greet her or him, and then go throw yourself on the couch or head into the den and start playing with the kids. No, you create some time, 10 to 15 minutes will do that you set aside to make them the priority, where you can connect with them, where you can decompress with them, talk about your day, spend just a few minutes listening to their day and what went on in their world and what you maybe need to do to adjust for the night. Shanda and I have this thing, sometimes we don't even need to talk. All I need is just a hug. We call it our meltaway hugs. And I can tell sometimes when she walks in if she needs one, and she can tell when I walk in, we're like, come on, come get it. And she gets up in here and I just hug on her and we just sit there and hug it gets really awkward because we make sure we do it in front of the kids, right? And there's nothing weird about it. There's nothing inappropriate about it. It's just my kids come in. Come on, Dad, break it up. Come on, you guys just, you, you guys just love birds. Just knock it off. But your couch time, that's one of the elements of it. It needs to be in front of the kids. They need to see that, that she or he is your priority, that you would prioritize that relationship. Why is that important? So that they begin to understand how they need to be when they grow up. It helps them in multiple ways. It helps them also see how conversations should go. Kids these days, man, if we don't start changing something, our kids are going to be in trouble. The next generation is going to be in trouble. More often than not, I'll be out in public and I'll see this situation. Mom, mom, mommy, mom, mom, mom. Like the kid is practically disrobing mom to get her attention. Have you ever seen this before? I've seen skirts come up and shirts come off. I've seen it. Kid wants mom's attention. Mom, 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 mom. And mom's just like carrying on like it's not even happening. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Please just answer your child. But the kid's not been taught how to approach a conversation. Why do, you think they're in, why do I think they're in trouble? Because if they go to work and they try to do that with their boss, 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 you know what's going to happen? They're going to get fired. And if they get fired, well, that's not a good thing. Because look, the... the, the the equivalent to, ex- to success in parenting is getting them through life, getting them to grow up, getting them jobs and college careers, and then letting them move out. And they're never going to do that if they don't have a job and they're getting fired. So please teach your children how to have conversations by demonstrating it. One of the things you can do to help your kids, when, because all they're wanting generally when they come up to you is going, Mom, 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 let me just help you with the secret that we have. <coughs> They're just looking for acknowledgement because every time a kid comes up to you, it's an emergency, right? It's like they're coming up to you and tugging on you and they get your full attention and you're like, what? I saw a bug. <laughs> it's true stories, right? So, so what we've taught our kids... We understand what they're looking for is acknowledgement. That's why they're making all the noise. They're used to that. They learn that as babies. We make noise. People pay attention to us. They carry that in. But they've got to learn to shift. And so our kids, whenever they want to interrupt a conversation that is happening with us, they walk up to us and they stick out their thumb like this. They put it right in front of us and we go and they don't say a word. That way they don't interrupt our conversation. And I grab their thumb. That lets them know, I acknowledge you. I see you. And I will speak with you in just a moment, as soon as I can find a break in this conversation. Sometimes they'll wait five minutes, and if it's too long for them, they'll decide to walk away, and that bug that they saw will not be near as important. You know what I'm saying? But I'll grab their thumb. Even even this past week, my son is 13, and he came up to me and stuck his thumb out in the middle of one of my conversations. I had it happen after first service when I shared the thumb thing. I was talking to another adult, and another adult walked up and stuck his thumb out. (laughs) And without thinking about it, I grabbed his thumb and said, hey, ho, what are we doing here? <laughs> so if you were thinking about doing it, somebody beat you to it, okay? Doesn't mean you can't use it. But, but, our, but our kids, they're acknowledged, and then we turn and we speak to them. We let them understand there's an order to things, right? Kids feel confident then. Ask my kids if they feel put off when we do that. No, absolutely not. When, when I make that priority, the, chant of the priority, when I come home, kids don't feel put out. They don't feel put off by it. In fact, they feel more secure and comfortable knowing that mom and dad have a healthy relationship. They're confident in that. So let it be displayed in front of them. Do it during hours that they're awake. Let them see what's going on. They'll become more confident knowing that mom and dad are in love. And they'll learn to have conversations by listening to you. Because even when you don't think your kids are paying attention to you, even if your kids are young, And you're having couch time and your kids are playing at your feet. They are listening to you. My daughter is 12 and she is, even when she acts like she's not listening to you, she can repeat everything you just talked about. You think she's not listening and you can talk about adult subjects because you think she's in the middle of her iPad or watching a TV show. Uh Uh-uh. She is listening to everything that is happening. She has got a skill. So we have to make sure we teach our kids how to have conversations. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. This is a great way to have a conversation with your spouse. And here's how it helps the kids. Look at what it says. That it may benefit those who listen. So couch time benefits them because they they see the priority that you are making and they learn how to have conversations. They learn how to interact because they see you doing. The second thing you can do to make your marriage relationship a priority is to enforce early bedtimes and bedroom boundaries. I realize I'm stepping on some toes here, so I'm going to let you be offended for a second, and then I'm going to tell you. And then you will change your mind. Couch time is great. And you get that 15-minute time, 10 or 15-minute window where you're connecting with your spouse, and then you carry on your day, but... but you need time before the kids go to bed so that you can do what mom and dads do. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know what I'm saying now. If you need to talk about whatever's going on in your relationship or talk about what's going on in your world or talk about what's going on with the kids or bills or plans, that's, that's fine. But you need to create space to be able to do that. I talk to many couples and many relationships and they're like, I don't ever talk to my spouse. I don't, I, I don't. There's no intentional time. The kids are not put to bed so an environment is not created for them to be able to talk to each other. My kids for years have gone to bed at seven o'clock. Now my boys are 13 and they go to bed at 9 30. My daughter goes to bed at nine but there is that hour window where I get time with my bride and it's not because I hate my kids that I'm sending them to bed at 9 30. It's because I love my spouse. Plus let me tell you this, kids need sleep. If you're not aware of it, When my kids were much younger, I would leave. I was committed to getting them to bed at 7 o'clock. And the reason I did that is because they were always overtired. They were exhausted. Their behavior demonstrated that they were exhausted, right? I'd put my kids to bed at 7, and they'd sleep until 7 a.m. It was good times at the DeLong house. You know what I'm saying? It was. Kids need rest. And so putting them to bed early is not a punishment. It's what they need anyway, okay? And it's not because you don't like them. It's because you love them. Your spouse. You create that time. And putting this 7 o'clock bedtime or whatever time you decide your kids are going to go to bed every night puts a goal on the evening. And your whole time from, from the time you get home becomes a process of working towards getting those kids in bed so I can spend time with my spouse. You know what I'm saying? And here's the thing, guys. Let me just throw something out here for you. You need to help. This is a process you need to be involved in. These are goals you need to help accomplish, and here's why. Because if you help her get the kids to bed, she'll have more energy. Why is energy important, Aaron? Because energy equals sex drive. Hello! You need to help. Help them get to a place where the kids are in bed. And guys, help them do that. And then mom and dad can connect. Now, if you do all this and you create this early bedtime or the, the, the bedtimes for them, you establish that, it doesn't help if you don't have bedroom boundaries. Because a lot of kids, all they want to do is sleep in mom and dad's bed. And they call it cuddles. They come into your room and they want to lay down with you. Give me cuddles. Let me cuddle in your bed, please. Let me they'll cry. They'll pitch a fit. All they want to do is cuddle with you, and then they're going to fall asleep, and you fall asleep, and then mom and dads don't get to do what mom and dads get to do because there's a kid in the bed. You understand what I'm saying? You do now. Okay? If you don't have bedroom boundaries, the kids are always going to be up in the bed with you. Here's a novel idea. Put them to sleep in their beds and make them sleep in their beds. It'll be wonderful for you. It'll be wonderful. You, you will have that opportunity to reconnect with your spouse in the way that you need to. When I first met Shanda, she was sleeping with Kasaya. Kasaya was just one. Now, you need to understand Shanda's situation. She was working and getting educated in a city that was not her own. And so she was staying staying at friends' houses in that city to get her education and even to work. And so she had less time to spend with her daughter. And she said, Aaron, I get 24 hours to 48 hours to spend with my kid. I'm going to sleep with her. That's fine. But after we got engaged, I said, listen, here's the deal. I'm not abstaining from sexual relations with you up until the point that we get married to have to abstain after we get married. You understand? Okay, so you got five months to work that out and get her up out of your bed. That's the truth. True story. The way I'm laying it out for you now is how I laid it out for her. And so we began a process, and I held her hand as we placed Kasaya into that crib, and Kasaya cried, and we stood out the door, and Shanda cried, and I smiled. (laughs) And when we got married, she was happy to be in her bed. All of our kids slept in their own bed. Why is this important? Because God gave us a desire for each other sexually. He gave us that desire because he knew that it would be the glue that held our relationships together. He gave it to us. Look at what 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Now, every guy in this room just woke up. Like, what did he say? <laughs> Sitting there nudging their woman. Do you hear that? Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. And every guy just highlighted that limited time phrase. You see that? Limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer, not to child raising. This is a spiritual exercise they're talking about. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Truth is, sex is the glue of your marriage. And when that area of your life is not being satisfied within the bounds of marriage, we are tempted. And somebody who is available relationally, physically, emotionally, will come along. And they will tempt you. There is a high, a high, high level of adultery among Christian relationships. High level. It's just unacceptable to me. It is not God's best for your marriage. It is, it is just not. It is so damaging. If you want to fight adultery in your marriage, have a lot of sex. I'm just being honest with you. You say it can't be that simple. Sure it is. Absolutely. Have... Put your kids to bed early. Establish some bedroom boundaries. Keep your intimate life alive. Because studies show that sex among Christian relationships is way better because we're doing things God's way. We're doing it the way that he asks us to honor him in. Because we've all come from a background where we've tried to have sex the way the world tells us to. And all it leads to is broken, brokenness and pain. Now, I will say this on a side note. Some of you are sitting here thinking that I'm I'm an absolute Nazi, and and that's that's not the case. If my kids, we put the kids to bed in their beds. This is the thing. You you go to sleep in your room. If you're sick in the middle of the night or if you have a bad dream or whatever, you can come into our room, and that would be fine. You need to make a pallet on the floor. You're not getting in the bed with us. And sometimes we'll just wake up in the morning, and there's an extra child on the floor. And because there's no nightlight in my bedroom, that child will get stepped on if I get up to go to the restroom in the middle of the night. But you will find said child in the morning. We're, we're okay with that. We want them to feel like they can approach us, that they can be comfortable to come to us if they need us, but they are going to go to their beds. All right. So couch time, early bedtimes and bedroom boundaries. Are you all upset with me yet? <laughs> Here we go. Third thing is enjoy a weekly date. And you say, Aaron, this is super, super simple and super practical. And like, this is kind of like a duh thing. Why are you telling us this? Because so many of us miss it. I miss it from time to time. I get busy on my schedule. And I forget that I need to set aside time for my bride, that I need to set aside time to date her. I would tell you that a weekly date, time away from all of the things that you get caught up in in your world, your kids, your house, the job, all of it. Time to go out and just connect with each other, to make memories together, because honestly, what is the reason you're together in the first place? Because you started dating, you were making memories, you were enjoying each other's company and doing whatever it is that you were doing together. And when you got married and you had kids, you quit. You quit dating them. The thing that you did to catch them is the thing you've got to do to keep them. You can write that down. Put that in your pocket. If you were dating them in the first place to get them, you've got to keep on dating them. You need to go out, maybe go to dinner. Some of you say, well, dinner's not very exciting for me. Fine, go do an activity together. Go for a walk. Go, go, get, go bike riding Go climb a mountain, go go walk, you know, hawking hills, do something together, find a hobby that you can enjoy to do it together so that you can go out on a date and you can make continue to make memories for yourself. So that you can continue to have fun and be in love with each other so that when you reach the end of that time period where you are raising kids, you are still just in love as the day that you first met. Come on. I'm speaking some life into somebody, I can feel it. It's getting there. We need to love each other. Now, here's the deal. Some of you would say, Aaron, going out on a date, I don't really have the finances for that. That's okay. That's your excuse for why you're not going to do it. And let me just tell you, let me just remove that excuse from you. My pastor has something he calls Pepsi and popcorn dates because when he didn't have the money, he and his wife would, would have Pepsi and popcorn, and that was their date. They would sit down and watch a movie together. They put the kids to bed early, and they had intentional time where they would connect together. And that they cherish those memories. And they're not in that place now. Now they continue to go out on dates, but they actually get to go out. But they would play cards together, board games together. And let me tell you, my wife and I do the same thing. We've been in a place where we didn't have a whole lot of money and we weren't going to go out to eat. And instead of being bummed about it and say, well, I can't do that because I don't have the money, we found something we could do. Playing cards is a perfect fit for that. Playing board games is great. Now, I will tell you this. If you're going to play cards, there is this game called Spoons, that unless you have a healthy marriage, you cannot play this game, okay? Uh, we have played Spoons together. and my, Here's what Spoons is, just, just in case you... It's kind of like musical chairs for adults, but it's played with spoons, okay? It's a card game, and uh, the goal of the card game is, is somebody gets to grab a spoon. The first person grabs a spoon, and everybody has to get one. There are an equal amount of spoons on the table, minus one... To the people that are playing the game, okay? So once all the spoons are grabbed, somebody is going to be left without a spoon, and they're the ones that get the ding for the round, all right? Now, when you play spoons and somebody grabs said spoon, you will reach out to get a spoon, and you will be met with much resistance to get that spoon. You will find that you have scars on your hand about a week later, especially if you were playing with ladies with nails. At my house, they like to grab the spoons and knock the spoons the rest of the way off onto the floor so that they are no longer on the table and pursuit begins of the spoons. I have seen my wife dive onto the floor and skid all the way into the wall and hit her head. I've had couples in my home that wrestled for 10 minutes over one spoon. Now when it's a metal spoon, it's cool. When it's plastic and those suckers break, you gotta watch it, man. They will cut you. For real. Why do I tell you all this? You need to remove that excuse for why you can't have a date. You need to connect with your spouse. You need to do what Proverbs 5.19 says. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. May you always be captivated by her love. We need to remember our love for one another. And going on a weekly date helps us remember that. It helps us remember that. The last thing that you need to do, or the last thing that you can practically do, is embrace a Christ-centered relationship. Two people living together are going to learn much about each other. You're going to learn that the person that you are married to is a sinner. The person you are married to is selfish. You even discover your own sin and your own selfishness. As you are married, it will quickly reveal itself. And what happens is in our own selfishness, we oftentimes miss out on our spouse's needs. We miss out on what it is that we can be doing to love them better. We, We miss out. We miss the mark. And we need Christ to be at the center of our relationships because there's times that we are going to come up against situations with our spouse where we're not going to be able to fix it. Where no matter how much we've talked to them about it, no matter what we've laid out for them, no matter how many times we've given them ultimatums to decide, there's no budging. And it continues to hurt over and over and over again. And what you need to, the reason you need to have a Christ-centered relationship, this means between you and Jesus is so that when you hit those walls that you just can't move forward in your relationship, either because of your selfishness or their own, you can lean on him. You need to be able to lean on God, and as you lean into him, and you begin to pray for your spouse, you'll see that God begins to shift their heart. You don't have to nag them. You don't have to whine at them or complain at them. You can pray for them. Oftentimes, I'll come up to my wife, and I'll be like, you know, babe, I was praying the other day, I feel like we need to change this. I feel like we need to raise our kids differently or we need to do this differently in our home or our finances, and she'll just smile. What are you smiling about? I've been praying for you. I've been praying about that issue. It's different. She's leaning into God and trusting him with those details so that she can continue to love me and not be frustrated by me. And when you have a Christ-centered relationship, you have that. Mine is Christ. You don't have that. I believe that as we become more devoted to God and our relationship with him, that he changes our hearts and we become more devoted to each other. And as we're more devoted to each other, it creates a healthier healthier environment for our kids. Keeps our marriage strong. Look what Ezekiel 36, 26 says. This is God's promise to us. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a Heart of flesh. In other words, he'll take that hardened heart. Sometimes we just get a hardened heart towards issues, don't we? And we don't even oftentimes realize it, but our spouse sees it. And it says he'll take that heart of stone from you and put in you a, a heart of flesh, a tender heart. A heart that reconsiders your position on something. He says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God's voice He's saying, I will give you my spirit and my voice will speak to you. My spirit will speak to you and tell you what you need to do. He'll correct areas in our lives. He'll speak to our hearts. He'll heal those wounds. He'll give us the capacity to forgive and ultimately to stand the test of time in our marriages. And that is the ultimate goal. We need to make our marriages a priority. I'm sure you're thinking of at least five other ways to do that, to apply to your life, practical ways you can make this relationship a priority. I would challenge you this week to do it. I would challenge you this week that if you're thinking of them, maybe you need to repent to your spouse and say, you know what? I haven't made this a priority and I'm going to and I'm gonna do it these three ways or these four ways or whatever it is God's talking to you about. And I'm gonna pray for you right now. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray over our marriages. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen every single marriage here in this place. Lord, and I pray that as you do, as you draw them closer together, Lord, as you help improve each one of our marriages, Lord, as you help us live out your best for us, I pray, God, that you would impact our parenting, Lord. I pray, God, that as it impacts our parenting and impacts our relationship towards each other, Lord, that it, it impacts our kids. I pray, God, that we may have the opportunity to be the shining, to be your love on display for our kids. Lord, I pray that you would fan the flame of our love for each other. And I'd help, I pray that you would help us to put these practical ideas into place because I know there's resistance in our heart to them because it represents change. They represent sacrifice. They're selfless instead of selfish like we have a, a tendency to be. God, do this work in us. Change our hearts. Give us your spirit and show us how to live for you towards our spouse. God, we need you. Right now, for everybody else that's just in this room, say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm hearing you say that the best way that I can live out my marriage is to have a Christ-centered relationship, and I don't have that. If that's you and you're here, there's nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to offer you an opportunity. I want to offer you an opportunity to experience God's love, to connect with him. Because see, here's what God promises you. If your marriage is in trouble right now, or maybe it is and you don't even realize it, God promises you a new heart. He promises to give you his spirit to show you how to live what his best is for you. He promises that he'll give you that spirit to teach you how to follow him. But before he'll do that, he asks you to do one thing, and that is to give your heart to him. The way that you do that is by acknowledging his son. He gave us Jesus. And asking him to be Lord of your life. And so you begin that process through something that we call prayer, and that's really just a conversation. So I'm gonna pray in just a moment. Maybe you don't know the words to pray to begin a relationship with God, but you want a new heart. You want God's spirit in your life to show you how to live for him. And if that's you and you're here today, I'm gonna to pray that prayer. If you would like me to count you in on that prayer, would you just shoot up your hand right now? Do it now. Just say, that's me. That's me. Count me in on that prayer, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. His hands all over the place. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna pray the prayer and you you can pray it out loud or you can pray it in your heart, but you just need to mean it. If you're listening by podcast or you're watching by Periscope, right where you are right now, whether you're driving down the road, running on a treadmill, or sitting in the comfort of your armchair, right now can be your moment. Pray along with us, I would encourage you. The prayer goes like this. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, that you did all of this so that I could be made brand new. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me your spirit. Give me a new heart. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Jesus, be Lord of my life today and every day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.